a bunch of topics that um, I want to cover today. So starting with permission to sign up, um, it is literally around the corner. Um, so as I understand it, we're probably less than a week from permission to sign up. Um, so to talk about maybe where we are right now and what we should expect in the next couple of weeks. So today we're still in a gated signup phase. Um, contracts are an OP mainnet. Hubs are open source. Anyone can download, spin one up, sync with the whole network. Um, so everything is working other than signups. So kind of once you're in to Farcaster with a with a you know an invite, um, you're able to do everything in a permissionless way. But today the only way to to onboard is through Warpcast. And so as of you know, we're tracking for it, but uh, next Wednesday, um, we should be able to flip the switch where, you know, trusted signups is off. The contract itself is actually not a, not upgradable. So we're approaching it from a, um, once things are permissionless, the only way to actually to kind of make a change would be to drive social consensus from people running hubs and, and app developers to kind of switch mm-hmm. the canonical contracts at, at the hub level. Um, so there is an ability if there was some, you know, catastrophic mistake to, to move quickly, but I think we're moving into a mode where the, the primitives on chain will run forever as programmed, um, starting Wednesday, which is actually pretty exciting because this has been, you know, Gordon and I have been working yeah. on Farcaster for three years this October. So to, to kind of go from idea to mm-hmm. finally having what we think of as a, you know, you can call it Farcaster V3 relative to the versions we've had, but I mean, it's like the first public version, right? So this is the official, you know, out of beta, so to speak. Um, so after um, the, the, the switch is, t- uh, is turned on, uh, the, the minimum cost to get on the Farcaster network is $7, right? So that, that's the, the price per, per unit. So a, you have to pay at least $7 to get on the network. Yeah, so let's just kind of walk through what what's being paid and who is that going to. Um, so in a perfect world, we could just allow anyone to sign up, right? Like why, why charge, you know, maximize growth. Um, the reality of that situation would be uh, you would have um, – hundreds of thousands, if not millions of programmatic accounts get created. And and I'll, I'll give you a very clear example. Noster has millions of accounts created, right? Pupkeys that, that have broadcast messages onto that decentralized uh, messaging protocol. But mm-hmm. the kind of architecture of Farcaster is similar to that of a blockchain, right? In, in that it isn't, you know, it doesn't need cryptocurrency and is not a blockchain, but but the idea is that there's global state on a server, right? So a hub is like an Ethereum yeah. node or a Bitcoin node in that the entirety of Farcaster, the canonical version of Farcaster, the, the network, lives within a single hub. And so in a world where you don't have any cost, you will be overrun with spam. I, I wish spam didn't exist, but it will, will does. So in a world where you want global state on a server... Uh, for for the architecture of the network, because there there are other versions of of designing a decentralized social network. You could take a federated approach, like Mastodon or Blue Sky does, right? And and you know I think it's a little outside the scope. We're we're far down the path of we think global state is really great from a developer experience, in the same way that uh, blockchains are great from a developer experience. It's like you have full access to the global state, data and APIs in a single kind of um, server. So in that world, we have to have mm-hmm. some amount of rationing 
of the limited amount of storage space that uh, a hub will exist. And so in, in that way, I think you, you have a couple of levers that you can pull. One is you can make each signup have some amount of cost. So people who are motivated to use the network will pay the cost and spammers are less likely to want to uh, you know, pay that cost. Or you can um, lower the amount of activity for signup, right? So it's like $7, we're giving kind of like a base level of activity, but you could imagine an iteration in the future where we say, you know what, actually the average person who signs up, they only need uh, 100 reactions, 100 follows, and 100 uh, posts or something, so, so something like that. And we can offer a much cheaper onboarding. I think where we optimize for with, with this kind of initial release is do something pretty straightforward and simple. Um, have it high enough that you, you have a lot of spammers, you have a lot of airdrop farmers. Don't have it too cheap that now all of a sudden the network gets overwhelmed with them. And if it's too expensive, we've already built it in so that every six weeks we are actually reevaluating pricing at the protocol level, right? It's, it's going to actually be built into the way hubs upgrade. Hubs upgrade every six weeks. Uh, we actually took that from Rust. And so our view is, let's run the six-week experiment at $7. It, it's interesting because if you flip to one side of like, oh, well, the average um, social media user probably thinks that's expensive. But arguably, maybe you say the average spammer or airdrop farmer might think $7 is cheap. So I, I think we're in this kind of weird situation where we may be pricing out um, kind of like a potential user who's good while at the same time uh, still having plenty of spammers and airdrop farmers. But I think part of that is the only way to figure that out is um, to actually just run the experiment live. And so that that's what we're planning to do. The one um, thing is we do have a, an increasing price schedule. So for whatever reason, things are really popular. Prices actually, after the first so many uh, kind of signups during that six-week period, signups double in price to 14 then I think it goes to $21, $28. So it, it just kind of incrementally increases um, so that we, we don't have um, the kind of overwhelming number of spammers all signing up at, at $7. Like there's a little bit of a, a throttle by, by increasing the cost. And um, just to be clear, you said that you know, the contract is not upgradable, but the cost itself it can be dynamic. Right, so you, you, we are talking about just changing the, the specific pricing of the storage unit, but the contract itself cannot be changed. Is my understanding correct? Uh, yeah, I should double confirm on the storage contract relative to the FID contract because they're two separate contracts. But you can kind of think of the FID as actually the most important because that is your, it's essentially the identity, right? It's the mapping between the FID, which is your representation on the Farcaster network, you, you as a user see a username, but the hubs see mm -hmm. and the clients see an FID, which is just an integer, right? Like Varun is FID2, I'm FID3. Um, and then that mapping between an FID and an Ethereum address, that that is the most important thing for the network in terms of you, you, you actually now can identify everyone in the network on hubs by using the FID contract. The storage contract is actually just a guidance mechanisms to hubs to say how much space should I allocate to this FID. But you can kind of think of FID as the root and then and then storage is kind of a uh, layer on top of, of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, at this moment, if you want to get on Farcaster protocol, you have to pay for storage, right? And the assumption behind that is there's always a limited amount of storage. So 
you you have to pay. You cannot get it for free, right? So this is just the assumption that we're operating in. Yeah, and to be clear, FIDs are it's just a call to that contract. So you could go register as many FIDs as you want, but if you don't pay for storage for the FID, the the cast won't appear on hubs. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So a, a related question to that is, uh, so how are we thinking about spam prevention? I know we've talked about uh, you know the spam in the past dev cost you know many times, but just talking about the next two weeks, um, if let's say there are some spammy accounts coming to the protocol, as users, what we can do is just report them, and then you're going to do a, do a moderation on the webcast level. Is, is it uh, what's going to happen? Yeah, I think that the simplest starting... Can you still hear me? Yes, yes, loud and clear. Okay, great, great, okay. Yeah, so the simplest version is we've already uh, put into place some amount of spam control on Warpcast now. Um, and I think it's worth delineating. So Warpcast, just like an email client, can have its own set of spam uh, and moderation, and the protocol is unaffected, right? So this is a strictly client-level thing. Um, our our point of view has kind of changed a few times on this, but I think our primary mechanism is we're going to put this $7 fee in. And so I don't think you're going to get a million accounts signing up, right? I think you're going to get to a place where you probably have a few thousand if, if, if I was to guess, but maybe, maybe it's lower. Who knows? Like part of this is like, we have to just run the experiment next week and see, see kind of what the market demand is. Mm-hmm. If I was to guess based on the 270,000, almost 300,000 people who connected an Ethereum address and a Twitter account, and then, you know, in some cases, non-zero ETH balance to the waitlist form, I have a hunch that we will get some amount of, uh, kind of signups. And I think for us, it's, it's, we just kind of want to see the, the, shape of that. And I think building systems ahead of time uh, without knowing the the actual shape of the problem is kind of like actually a waste of engineering effort. And so we have kind of some base level systems in place that are that are pretty basic. And I think what we've already allocated is next week, you know, everyone kind of going to be online and, and paying attention. And as we see kind of user feedback on both, you know, the per, per uh, it's really nice on Warpcast is like people can immediately start sharing that feedback as well as like private feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, we can start taking action. And I think there are different types of spam, right? So spam that, uh, you know, for example, would end up on the trending feed. That is a very forecast specific thing versus reply spam versus direct cast spam Mm -hmm. versus, you know, channel spam. And so I think we want to get a handle on where the the issue is and then be able to just very quickly solve for that. And then actually knowing what the shape of that is, figure out it's like, how, how can we actually best help the overall protocol with this. But I think we, we, we went pencil to paper like probably six weeks ago to be like, okay, how do we deal with this? And we, we realized that like, we actually don't even have a good hypothesis on where the spam will be if it, it even exists. Or do you have a bunch of people sign up and they don't do anything because they're kind of waiting their time? So I think we didn't want to like prematurely optimize and instead just kind of going in with like a very honest and transparent approach of we're going to be reactive to this and we're going to be pretty quick to react. Um, assuming mm-hmm. it's yep. a problem. If it's not a problem, great. We saved a bunch of time in terms of engineering effort that can go otherwise go to growing protocol doubt. So that, that that's how we're approaching it. Yeah, yeah. And then switching gears a bit, uh, I remember we talked about sort of the priority after permission to sign up for the webcast team is to focus on what you call the quality uh, DAO. So to talk, talk about sort of how are you going to just increase the quality in DAU um, and then, you know, how would you define quality DAU? 
Yeah, so I think quality DAU, rough proxy of this is the active badge. It's not perfect. There are definitely some what I would consider low quality or spammy accounts that have the active badge. And and I think we're going to have to iterate that because in a world where you have permissionless signups, that can be easily gamed. So I think we'll we'll continue to tweak that score and 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 how how that's calculated. And for those who aren't familiar, the active badge requires you to have a filled out profile, um, which just kind of puts a little bit of effort into making sure that you've you've kind of done all the basic things. And then uh, it's it's a combination of that and then uh, a simple scoring metric of how many casts that you've done, the kind of like. Uh, denominator and then the numerator is how much inbound engagement do you get so combination of likes replies and recasts um and so if that score is above one um you're kind of like you can if you want to think about it like from a liquidity standpoint you're a uh you're a market maker in the sense that you're actually adding liquidity to the (laughs) the protocol versus a person who's doing a lot of casting but not getting a lot of engagement is actually from people's time standpoint uh is actually taking away time so it's not perfect. Uh, there, I'm sure, a ton of edge cases that you could come up with that were like, oh, here's a good account that actually is below one. But overall, like, uh, this is something I'm eyeballing all the time. It's like the the good good users on Farcaster and good defined by like my taste of good, which is what kind of has been the last three years, roughly correlate to the active badge. And like I said, we're going to have to iterate on that. But but basically, that's like kind of the the loose target is like how can we 10, 100x, 1,000x the number of people on Farcaster who kind of fit the profile of like, if you were to average all the people with the active badge today, that, that average composite person, how, how can we get, you know, a thousand X more people like that using, using the protocol yeah. every day. Good. And, and now uh, moving on to the channels. Um, so actually a lot has happened in channels since the, the last time we talked, which was just two weeks ago. Um, so uh, now um, channel statistics, uh, has been introduced, um, and sort of the, the channel mods have been uh, uh, sort of working in their channels for a while now. And we have seen that the number one channel, at least by engagement, is the, the memes channel. Uh, and, and Johnny, uh, I believe, has done a lot of work to, to drive engagement in uh, in the memes channel. So it seems like it's it's working pretty well. But just talk about sort of in the in the past two weeks, what what's your observation on on, on channels and how are the channel mods uh, doing so far? Yeah, so um, it's worth calling out is we've actually given no additional features to the the leads. Like literally, just we we put their name on the top of the channel on web. It's like the only place you can find that, um, and we gave them a stats page so they can kind of get a better sense of how they're doing. But that's it. Like we haven't actually put any engineering effort in. I think upfront, I was originally kind of planning to tie it to a bunch of different little improvements. And what I quickly realized with the leads is actually just having the leads there and then kind of checking in with them. So I have a Telegram group with with the with the folks, and um, it's it's every single channel with a lead has basically increased, um, which has been great over the last couple of weeks. And so, uh, increase from a total engagement standpoint. And I think I'm starting to crystallize two weeks in, like the set of features mm-hmm. that we're going to help leads. Um, and and then I think in a world where we have permissionless channels, if you're a channel creator, right? It's like, oh, I, I'm passionate about this topic. I want to create this channel. This leads experiment over the next, you know, we're going to do about four more weeks of of this version of leads. Um, And I think from this, we're hopefully going to have a base set of features that we can both provide in Warpcast so that you can easily start a channel and then actually grow it, which I think is an important uh, part of our product strategy for, for both Warpcast, but also for the protocol in a way of like having a social primitive that is differentiated. 
But I think that the the second component is in doing this experiment in a centralized way and iterating, we can get to a place of, okay, what are some of the things that actually should be encoded at the protocol level, both on a kind of hub level, but even potentially even a new on-chain primitive that is kind of within the universe of contracts for Farcaster. Because you can imagine that like, maybe the right uh, version of channels is in order to create a channel, you actually deploy a contract. So there's a little bit more friction there. Maybe you have to pay the protocol a fee to do that. So again, you reduce the amount of spam. But in doing so, you actually create a primitive that is even more composable and more portable outside of even just Farcaster, right? So let's say you are really passionate about F1 racing and you end up building a, a channel on Farcaster that is like the premier feed on the internet, better than a subreddit, better than Twitter, better than anything else for fans of F1 racing, the ability for you to actually have that encoded on a blockchain in a way that you could potentially port it to other, not only other clients within Farcaster, but even other protocols, assuming Farcaster wasn't doing what you um, wanted it to. I think that's a really powerful idea. And I think that this is something I casted the other day is um, once we're permissionless, I, I actually wouldn't be surprised that within the first couple of months, if someone tries to fork the Farcaster network and says, hey, Warpcast team, thanks for doing all this open source work. I think you guys are making the wrong set of optimizations. I think the price is too high. I think, um, you know, channels is not the right way to go. And I think you should just be going all in on video. And I actually don't don't want to deal with any of your decisions as the kind of like core group working on the protocol. And you just fork everything. You just, you, new set of contracts, uh, new set of hubs, you change the network that they point at, and now you can use something like OpenCast or any of some of these open source clients that people have built on Farcaster, and, and you can literally just have a a competing uh, protocol. And I think that's completely fine. Um, in the same way that I think the EVM's proliferation uh, it was net beneficial to Ethereum. I think the same thing is like if, if if the architecture that powers Farcaster today ends up being adopted by other social networks that point to different blockchains and or uh, make different sets of decisions, I think that is that competition is extremely good. It's going to force what I would call you know the OG Farcaster implementation, or the the one we're talking about, mm-hmm. to be competitive and always be focused on what do users want. Um, and so that, that's where I kind of think about a lot of this stuff is we're, we're on the verge of having this happen. And then I think the same thing is I want to ensure that channels as a way to attract people, potentially even from outside of crypto, that if you make a big investment in growing a community within the Farcaster protocol, you always have exit, exit within clients as well as exit from the protocol itself. Yeah. And then just to clarify, in terms of webcast channels, you're applying this still to to keep it moderated, at least in the next couple of months. So like permissionless channel creation is, is not going to happen until next year. Is it still the plan? I think that that's the plan. I think, look, we're in a pro- we're a startup looking for product market fit. And so if two weeks from now or four weeks from now, towards the end of the channel lead experiment, the clear answer is, okay, actually, here's a basic set of tools. Actually having a, a dedicated lead or, a, you know, kind of another group of people who could potentially be helping that is sufficient actually to see, you know, decent growth within channels. Maybe our, our point of view is, hey, we should pull up permissionless channel creation. And maybe the way we do permissionless channel creation is we start within Warpcast. So we don't have to deal with a bunch of this on-chain stuff. We don't have to do an FIP. We get it in a way that we know we want to land this in a decentralized primitive way. 
But in doing so, we um, can just move a lot faster and actually give people what they want, right? Because I think people are clamoring to say, yeah, Dan, that's fine that you say, what channel should we add this week? But what I actually want to do is I want to scratch a niche for a weird community that I have, and I want to feel empowered to be able to bring those people into the Farcaster protocol. And so I, yeah. I think ch- permissionless channel creation makes less sense in a world where the, the network is gated. But once we're permissionless, the longer we have permission channels, um, we're just holding back, I think, the growth of the network, assuming we believe channels is a great way to grow the network. So I think we have every incentive to, to get it to permissionless as soon as possible. But I want to just set clear expectations that like it's not like two weeks away. But that said, like, you know, if January is the right time, great. But if, if we pull it forward because we think it's best for the protocol, that's also great. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I want to be conscious of the time. So uh, I want to... Uh, yeah, five more minutes. Five minutes. Okay, yeah. Okay. So it's a pass key. Um, so this is, a, this is a feature, you know, that, that is very new, only available on iOS 17 plus, I, I believe. Right? So, so talk about um, what, what this is going to unlock on for, for, for the protocol. And then, you know, sort of what, what is the plan to roll out to, I don't know, Android or, or um, you know, to, 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 to basically bring it to more users? Uh, yeah, so I think at this point, um, iOS 17 has like over greater than 50% adoption on at least the Warpcast user base. And looking at last year's adoption cycle, I think within a month, it'll be like 80, 90%. So basically 70% of usage for Farcaster or Warpcast is mobile and 70% of mobile is is iOS. So from a, like, if I was to fast forward by the end of the year, you're, you're basically, call it 50% of the user base, if I did my math right. Um is at least for Warpcast is is on passkeys, um, and I think you know there are going to be some edge cases of people saying, "Hey, like I don't want to use passkeys," but the reality is like one the threat model that you're worried about in passkeys, like there's a simpler threat model is that like Warpcast gets compromised and and like the app like you know we ship some change we we don't do it but a nefarious person slides something in and then is able to grab it. So I actually think people aren't reasoning from first principles there, but that said like there are always going to be just some people who don't like being forced to do anything. But I think for the vast majority of users, especially more normal users and the, the thousand X quality DAO that we're trying to shoot for just never having to see a mnemonic is, is a vastly superior user experience. And the other thing that I think is important, and I should share this on Farcast. I'll probably cast this out after this. We've actually done mm-hmm. 207, uh, 87 on chain recoveries. I just looked at the number earlier today um, through Warpcast. So this is now uh, people who had otherwise churned from the protocol, had lost their seed phrase, and now because in in kind of the OP mainnet implementation of the contracts, uh, anyone on Warpcast had their uh, recovery address actually set this time. In this case, Warpcast is is the is the maintainer of that, and we have an internal system that you kind of go through a 2FA, and then and then basically you are able to. Um, Actually, it's not 2FA today. Let me be clear. That's it's email authentication, and we have plans to add 2FA. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is you as a user can change that if you don't if you don't trust us. I think generally we try to do things that are pro-user. But what's nice is those are 287 uh, people who had onboarded to the protocol, have a year for free, that it, it, prior to this on-chain recovery and even pass keys would have just been churned. And it's like they didn't they, – not. it's essentially on-chain password reset. So I think that that's more important, if anything. It's like passkeys is great so that you never even have to get to that step. But I think in in terms of applying to all users across all clients, the on-chain recovery system is actually really crucial to ensuring that you don't churn 
uh, quality DAO from the protocol as a result of losing their seed phrase. And I would estimate if I was to guess somewhere between 10, if not even 15% of everyone who's ever onboarded to, to Farcaster, the reason they stopped using the product is, is actually because they lost their seed phrase. And so solving that with a one-two punch of do it up front with the first line of defense on pass keys and then have a backup where you can do an on-chain recovery, I think is, is really important for compounding protocol DAO. And it's actually approaching you know, an on-chain system with the goal of trying to have it have parity towards like Web2 level UX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then lastly, I want to briefly touch on uh, the signer. Um, there's been some discussions uh, around, you know, paying 99 cents could potentially sort of reduce the conversion rate of, of users that are trying to sign up for, you know, alt clients. Uh, I know that uh, you've had some, um, you know, interactions with other folks who are asking about this, but can you just comment on uh, sort of uh, how, how would you respond to, to uh, you know, this type of question and um, how is FC sign or different from, you know, sign in with Farcaster, which I believe is coming soon. Yeah. So let me, let me address the second point first. That is confusing in naming and, and I actually talked with Horse Faxon, um, who's the kind of like lead on-chain developer for the, the team and Varun today. And I think that they're going to potentially have something for the next dev meeting around just better naming because signers are an on-chain yeah. primitive. They are actually, uh, they cost some gas. That's it. And what's powerful about them as a developer is if you do get a signer, you actually have a sovereign relationship with the user. You don't have to worry about Warpcast or, or another app cutting yeah. you off, right? Um, obviously, there's friction in creating that because there's that on-chain transaction. Um, the sign-in with Farcaster is actually just more lightweight. And we, we it's actually more like signing with Ethereum. And so I think getting those namings right, because signing with Farcaster is off-chain. It doesn't cost any money. It's just a... EIP 712 signature, basically. Um, so what, what we need to get to is one, that needs to ship, which is, I think, going to ship soon. Two, we need to educate people, right? It's like, uh, here's a good example. And this is not criticism because part of, part of it is like we changed it within Warpcast. But I, I had um, got a new phone. I was downloading Abura before this. I had to add a new signer for Abura. But I think you already had a signer on my behalf. And so in a world where actually this sign-in with Farcaster works that's off-chain, you would have just been able to do that, no problem. I would have been able to off-in and mm-hmm. everything would have been great. So that's on Warpcast and, and the protocol folks to like really drive to actually make that really clean, have good tutorials, good documentation, and make that work, okay? The, the rationale for the in-app purchase on the signer is Warpcast actually needs to get to a... Uh, Every single I thing think. that you do that has anything to do with on-chain r- version of Farcaster will have an in-app purchase. And that's actually a point of view I've had actually, and we're in similar for like a decade, having been at Coinbase. And I always think that all crypto consumer apps that say, okay, great, fund your wallet, like totally broken experience. And the other thing you have to consider is if 70% of usage is on mobile, you have to play by the app store rules. And I don't think PWAs... Um, for apps that you expect to spend a lot of time in per day have the level of performance necessary to be like yeah. a DAO type app. PWAs, I think, work really well if you have higher ticket and there's actually a lot of financial incentive. So you're willing to deal with the performance stuff. But I think in terms of like, actually, if you want an app that can compete with Instagram, it has to be native. Okay. And so 
in a world where you have native, you have to actually follow app store rules. You can't say great. Um, if in order for you to sign up, you can send in some crypto, Apple just won't allow that. And so, um, we wanted to get a base level where every user can sign up. They don't have to see a pass key or a backup mnemonic because we have pass keys now. And then they get presented with a sign up and pay with, with dollars in app purchase. Mm-hmm. And I think crypto people aren't used to this because obviously they're used to crypto. I think I also have another theory that uh, 99 cents feels like a lot because I actually think when people do on-chain transactions, they don't even really pay attention to the cost for the most part. Yeah. It's like kind of fake money or they do a big discount on it. But the reality is 99 cents is not that much, but I, I get it. I, I'm like, also I can put myself in the other shoes and it's like, okay, you want to do as a developer, anything you can to actually grow your app. And so adding people to pay before they sign up is a non-starter. I, I push back a little bit on that is like, obviously there are plenty of apps in the app store that actually are paid and do well. I think that uh, if you're gunning for like a venture scale app and venture scale growth, I would agree that you don't want to charge up front. So I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a couple of things. So one, I know Nanar is actually working on this kind of like shared signer yep. approach so that it's yep. kind of like you onboard once and then you're able to just use that. And so that's nice because an app developer who says, hey, I don't need the sovereign key. I'm willing to actually use Nanar's shared key and be at the terms of service of Nanar, which is a developer-centric company, right? Like, so that that should be fine. That's great. That's the market actually solving for this. And now the market is more resilient because now you have an alternative to Warpcast to actually go and do this. I think the second thing is I would like to get to a place after we've covered the base that 100% of people on iOS, because everyone on iOS has to have a payment method. Um, I know if you have an iOS device, Mm -hmm. you can actually use this. Like that's actually a strong guarantee. Um, And so there is no exception. Like Apple does not allow you to download a free app if you don't have a valid payment method. So my view is I now know 100% of iOS users on who use Warpcast in a permissionless world, never see a backup mnemonic and they never need any crypto. Then I think it's the place to start iterating from there. It's like, how do you build this improved user experience? So you can imagine a world where, because every Warpcast user is a wallet, you could actually pre-fund your wallet outside of the app if you're a more advanced user or, or something like that. And now we can actually just deduct that right from your, your balance because what's technically happening is Apple, we're not doing a purchase, right? Because like you, you already had a balance. And this is the same case where you can't sign up for Netflix on an iPhone, but you can bring your Netflix account I think you're cutting off. A bit. Uh, says, okay, if you want to actually request a signer from a user, uh, given that all apps now have an FID, if your FID funds some some balance with Warpcast, we will we'll just like draw down for you so that you can basically say, oh, the person doesn't have to do an on-chain uh, 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 in-app purchase. They basically get it sponsored by, you know, Abora or, or any app. And then that app is responsible for figuring out which which customers they want to qualify for for sign up. And if you're a venture back company, maybe you say, "Hey, I'm willing to pay the twenty cents for everybody who signs up." Um, so I think that there are like a bunch of ways to solve this, but I think that the the approach that I think we've generally always tried to optimize for is solve for the uh, most end users in the simplest way possible first, and then iterate to make it more. Um, crypto native and or also have like little polish items or you know kind of the the, the ability to sponsor etc that makes sense yeah yeah 100 percent. so uh this this has been fantastic and before we wrap up any last words that, that, that you want to say 
Yeah, and, and I'm going to make sure... Uh, it, please let me know as soon as this is ready from a recording, because I'd love to just put this out on Warpcast as like weekend listening, because we can talk through all the stuff that's coming up next week. Because I think sometimes uh, voice is actually a much more um, human way of doing it. And and I realize sometimes if I'm trying to clear out all of my, my mentions, I can come across as uh, Kurt or, you know, and that's why I try to add the smiley face because I'm trying to do it from a place of like, no, no, I'm genuinely trying to <laughs> kind of explain. But I but I do think that, A, the feedback is, is welcome. I pay attention to everything. So every single response I, I read. <laughs> um, and so I think it's it's important that people vocalize what they believe. But I also think that the thing I would push people on is I'm going to push back if I think that there's a reasonable trade-off we are making and I want to uh, articulate that. And I can always do a better job and, you know, and, and make sure people feel heard. But I think there's important to say, I think all of these systems as we design them, especially as they are decentralized and protocol based and, and you start to get less and less control over them, fundamentally re- uh, rely on trade-offs. And I think the thing that people I would encourage is just to try to put themselves in our shoes of saying like, what trade-offs are they making? And whether you agree with those trade-offs, fine. But I I think sometimes it's like, make sure you try to actually, you know, steel man the, the case. Cause it's, it's not like we're just doing stuff willy nilly. Like we really try to put a lot of thought into it because ultimately like the, the effort we're putting in, at the protocol level, at Warpcast is in, in, in an effort to grow protocol DAO significantly from here, right? And so it's like, w- there is no version of product market fit within the Warpcast team. Like w- our view is like, we need to be a thousand X the size from a DAO standpoint before we even, um, you know, start to get like a level of like, okay, this is actually working. And like, we have a real thing here. Like we, we've built something that's like, it works. And a wonderful community of, of people who are using it and, and we're extremely appreciative, but like we can't miss the, the, the forest for the, you know, the trees here of like, we have to get a thousand X growth for the protocol. And if that happens, here's the thing I would say, if your conversion rate stinks because of the 99 cent app or fee, but there are a thousand X more daily active users in the protocol, that's still a much bigger business for you as an app developer than if we do a bunch of polishing right now. And we're only able to get 2x or 10x from where we are. What, what? So no, I'll uh, share it on uh, Forecaster. So thank cool. you so much. One other suggestion yeah. you might consider doing yeah. is just actually um, putting together a podcast. Because if we do these on, you know, every two or three weeks, I'm happy to kind of hop on and just talk. Um, if you put it on like a, you know, it's like, you can name the show or whatever, but if you just put it on like the Apple store or whatever, people can also then subscribe to it in their podcast players. Yeah, we should do that. Now it's on YouTube, but I need to put it on Apple podcast as well. Yep. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right. Maybe yeah, see you in uh, two weeks. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.